welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and both of us have Wally eyes. Wally eyes? Yes, that is having eyes of light color. Oh, we do both have light colored eyes. Neither one of us get very tan. Nope. Um, we don't have dark eyes. I feel like dark eyed people tend to get tanner than those with light eyes, but... I think so. Perhaps that is a misconception. Because now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking of some blondes that I know they get very, very tan. <laughs> and they have blue eyes, so never mind. But anyways, Courtney and I have light-colored eyes. We do. Yay. Mm-hmm. For us. Yes. We are, uh, what, like, in the minority? Well, um, you and I both sort of claim green. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different greens. We do have different greens. Um, and one might argue they're actually hazel. But, you know, we're going green. Mm-hmm. So... Mine are like green, green, or like on the bluish side of green as opposed to the browner side of green. Yeah, I don't know what mine are, but um, anyways, that's one per- the top 1% Woo. of that color. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like when you take a picture of my eyes, they are bright green, mm-hmm. but, um, and my optometrist said they were green, but when I see them in the mirror, they're kind of green and brown and gold and whatever so I don't know it's bizarre right. my yeah. eyes changed colors when I was like in middle school like a cat kind or of. a dog yeah they yeah. were blue all the way up until then and then they turned green that's kind of weird yeah did anything else like your hair change or any other no. things like that seems like a hormonal thing I you know, have right no around idea. middle school and your eyes change color mm-hmm. hmm. yeah I don't know bizarre okay well, um, now that we've gone through that, we are back with the whole new, whole new case yes. that we'll get to in a minute. But Courtney, I believe you have a question. I do. I decided to keep it just kind of like light today. Um, so my question is, if you could go to sleep tonight and wake up tomorrow and have the ability to just play any instrument, what instrument would you want to be able to play? Well... When I was in high school, I had drums, but I don't think that's what I'd want to play. I think, like, maybe a violin or or some stringed instrument Mm -hmm. that also uses a bow, Mm -hmm. because I think those sound so nice and, yeah, not a guitar. I mean, guitars are cool, but I think I'd like something with a bow. What about you? We're on the same wavelength. Um, Mine would be the cello. Okay. I just love how beautiful the cello sounds, and that would be a cool instrument to be able to play. Yeah. The harp might be cool, too. I mean, there's no bow involved, but they're so big, and they sound so heavenly. It's true. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not... um, not very musical like I can keep the beat you know and like when I had the drums I taught myself as much as I could but I didn't have lessons so I kind of got stuck and it was kind of before YouTube and everything so I just sort of was like gave up Mm. and then sold them right (laughs) gave them away (laughs) I might have given them away I think I gave I think I sold the hi-hat but the the actual kit I gave away because it wasn't worth a whole lot but anyways but you played the piano didn't you I do a little bit. I'm not, like, amazing, but I did, like, teach myself piano, and I can play, like, basic kind of things. Mm. At one point, I knew the um, theme to Beverly Hills Cop on the piano. Do you remember that one? It's like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. No, I never watched that. You've never seen Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy? There's, like, ten of them. They're so funny. 
very politically incorrect in today's climate, that. as Eddie Murphy was, and actually might still be. But anyways, I guess it's it's the 80s. Yeah, it's then, a little bit before me. But it was, oh my gosh, I, I loved Eddie Murphy in the 80s. I kind of almost memorized the delirious um, comic show that he did, which is very, <laughs> very um, not politically correct. Mm. His, his on-stage comedy was... But it was so funny to me. I don't know. But anyhow, well, good question. Um, so our case, oh, I just wanted to give a little feedback on the Gosnell case. Um, I talked to a few people, including Lisa, you know, Lisa and Jed Lisa. Yeah. Um, who really liked it. And she actually kind of uh, maybe wants to borrow the book to read more about it. Oh. She said that she was in her office kind of just luckily it's her office by herself but she was just like what the hell like talking out loud and like in response to what was happening in that case so I like that kind of um response because you know it is an emotional thing the what was happening I mean that's pretty much how I felt when I was reading the book yeah so yeah um I for me it was a lot I mean yeah I do that with several cases. The one the, the one that I think that I was the biggest talking out loud to myself while reading was Arthur Shawcross. Um, mm. because that was so fantastical. Like That's true. But, you know, this one was right up there. So anyways. Um And our new case is has just as many. Like what? Yeah, our new case is um two serial killers and one, sort of. I guess that's not the way to, to preface it. Um, we're going to do the Hillside Strangler. Yay. Which really is the Hillside Stranglers, but they're still referred to as the Hill Str- Hillside Strangler. So Even though there's two of them. Even though there's two. So um, I, I also, while researching this, you know, like a lot of times the name Kenny Bian- Kenneth Bianchi seemed to pop out more than Angelo Buono. Um and I thought that was weird because he was the younger of the two. So you just kind of automatically assume the older one's going to be like the main ringleader. But I think what it was is that Bianchi uh, just liked to talk a lot more than Buono did. Yeah. I don't know that Buono did really any interviews or. I don't think he did. He like. I don't think he even like. Professed his innocence to the very end. Well, and I don't think that he even really spoke at his own trial. Gosh, I haven't gotten no, that far I don't, in the I book don't think yet. He but did testify at yeah. his own trial, so so I really don't know. It, that might be why. You know, you look, you Google Hillside Strangler, and it seems that Kenneth Bianchi is the name that pops up more than Angelo Buono. But there was two of them, and they were cousins. Um, but they didn't grow up to each other with each other. I mean, totally different sides of the country. Yeah. Um, and they had radically different childhoods. So um, today, the book that we're using primarily, I mean, we did do a little bit of Wikipedia and, and Murderpedia and stuff like that, um, is called Two of a Kind, The Hillside Stranglers, The Inside Story by, by Darcy O'Brien. So it's a, a pretty interesting book. And um, I kind of researched how he got this information because there was a lot of quotes you know, like dialogue between the two. And I was like, how is this possible? But he, or she, yeah, it's a, it's a, he, um, he went through like thousands of pages of testimony from the court cases and like thousands of hours of, or hundreds of hours of video of primarily Bianchi speaking with the police and everything to come up with, um, what's in the book. So it's, it's based a lot on what Kenneth Bianchi, 
um, attests to. So take that as it as you may, because you know they lie. But that's what uh, where this information is primarily coming from. So um, we're going to break this up a little bit. We're going to start with I'm going to start with the older of the two, Angelo Buono. And he was born in Rochester, New York, October 5th, 1934, to Jenny and Angelo Sr. So apparently his family was of Sicilian descent, which he would later like kind of brag about you know, later on in life. His parents divorced when he was five, and then he moved with his mom to L.A. and his older sister. Um, his mom remarried, but she primarily raised the children herself. She didn't remarry right away or anything. And Angelo doesn't appear to have done very well at school. It doesn't seem like he was very interested in learning to read or write, etc. His family was Roman Catholic, but they didn't go to church all that often, so he never really cared for the teachings of the church either. He grew up distrustful. Perhaps this may have been from his parents' divorce. I don't think he saw much of his father, um, and, I, and he began to hate his mother. He would refer to her as the C-word. Um, I, I'm not offended by the, that word, but I know people are, so I'll just say the C word. Eventually he would think of all women negatively and call them by the C word. He considered his mother to be a, an amoral, excuse me. He considered his mom to be an amoral woman with too many boyfriends. And, um, that might've been the driving force toward his hatred and distrust of females. I mean, I think we've seen by now it's tends to be the mom that triggers this response later on in life. He would re- he would relay to his very few friends that his mom would take him along on her sexual escapades. Quote, he would be kept waiting outside, is what he said, while she would go in with the man. He said he knew what she had been up to and that this was no different from all women. So he was lumping all women into this category already when he was pretty young. Courtney, I'm kind of getting a G- Gary Ridgway vibe. Do you want to explore a little bit here? I can see the the parallels with Ridgeway, you know, although for Gary, it was his dad taking him out to meet sex workers and then saying really terrible things about the sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, you know, whether Angelo's mom was doing sex work or not, um, it would be very taboo for a woman with children to have multiple male partners during the 1940s and 50s when Angelo was growing up. Um, you know, and Angelo likely heard comments from others about his mom or at the very least picked up on the general attitude of society, you know, and, and since mothers are the first role model we have about what being a woman is supposed to be like, this was the impression that Angelo got from a young age. Angelo would verbally abuse his mother by calling her names and making accusations of her looseness, uh, supposed looseness, and that she would sleep with anyone for something in return. Basically, he was accusing her of being a prostitute. This would really break his mom down. I mean, can you imagine a, ta- a child talking to their mother that way? I I would have been in so much trouble. <laughs> it wasn't even a thing in my house. Um, his dad wasn't around to step in and stop him from doing this. There really was no real male influence, it seems, at the time. Courtney, in situations where a single mom is raising children, is it common for things like this to happen? So, you know, unfortunately, I don't have to imagine a child speaking this way to their mother because I've heard it happen um, with clients that I've worked with. Um You know, and in my experience, children typically learn to treat women and therefore their mothers this way by observing the men in their lives treating women this way. 
you know, kids don't just have the vocabulary or the understanding of what it means to be a prostitute or the C word. They have to learn that from somewhere. Um, And so where he got the message that women can't be trusted and it's okay to treat them in this way, it's not totally clear. Um, You know, it could have been one of mom's many boyfriends, um, or even it could have been his own father during those early formative years before they got divorced. Um, And then as for kind of the single mom thing, a little rebellion and pushing limits against a single mom is normal, um, but being cruel and vindictive is not. You know, and I don't know why the parents separated. So it very well could have been Angelo's dad said stuff like this to the mom. I don't know. Right. Or he could have even been abusive to the mom. Yeah. We just don't know. Right. I mean, it would kind of make sense. Given what happens later. But this is all speculation. Yes, it is. Angelo would also try to get his mother to get upset by bringing home black women and say that he was going to marry them. So Angelo wasn't racist. Uh, Apparently, he just all women were the same to him, regardless of every thing. But his mother must have been as this did upset her, the thought that he would marry a black woman. Angelo was only 14 years old when he started to steal cars. He would pick up his buddies and talk about what he wanted to do to women. His fantasy was to pick up a hitchhiker, drive her somewhere secluded, and rape her. His final part of the fantasy had him sodomizing her. And this is a theme we will see throughout this whole case. One of his friends did not understand what Angelo meant when he told him about wanting to sodomize a woman. And of course, he used different words. Angelo did. Uh, regardless, his friend went to, went home and asked his parents uh, what that meant. And his parents uh, refused to let him hang out with Angelo again. Good parenting. Right. Courtney, based on the little that we know, is it surprising that Angelo, uh, what he was fantasizing about... Do you think at that age it was a true fantasy or do you think he was trying to impress his friends by like acting all macho and saying sexual things that they didn't obviously didn't understand? You know, just looking at what we know of his childhood, it would be maybe a little surprising for any 13 or 14 year old to be fantasizing about rape and sodomy. But looking at what we know happens later, it is less so. You know, I do believe that these were Angelo's real fantasies. And, you know, he was somebody who was able to manipulate others, um, which means he would be able to read the reactions of his friends better if he were just trying to impress them. What would Freud say about his anal fetish? That he was stuck in the anal stage of development. <laughs> oh, good old Freud. Yes. And then he goes back to poop. Mm-hmm. Angelo dropped out of high school at age 16. He was getting in fights all the time um, at school, and he was actually starting to get involved with some gangs. He was stealing stuff and earning a reputation as, like, a badass. He eventually got arrested for Grand Theft Auto and served his time at the California Youth Authority. He escaped from there, but was eventually caught and arrested again. This time he was sent to Paso Robles School for Boys. Robles, I'm not sure how to say that. Uh, He did not come out as an upstanding young man. Shocker. When he was out on parole, he was hanging around a high school when he saw a teen in a jacket that he decided that he wanted. He basically bullied the jacket away from the smaller boy, and, you know, the boy did try to jump on him, and it just, he ended up running off. The jacket had the word aristocrat, like, um on little patches on the back of the jacket and Angelo tried to get the lettering off he was only able to get a few off and he was wearing it when the boy he stole the jacket from 
saw him and just happened to be with four older boys. Angelo begrudgingly handed it over because he was going to lose that fight. The next day, the boy went to Angelo's house and demanded money for ripping the letters off with those same boys with him. Angelo threatened all of them with a knife, and that scared them off. The boy then went to the police, who pulled Angelo in and threatened him with arrest if he kept doing stupid shit like this. And I'm just, I think we're witnessing his crimes escalating a bit, um, getting a little more violent, pulling a knife, you know, kind of basically beating up a boy for a jacket. Courtney, any thoughts? Yeah, we are definitely seeing an escalation of his crimes and the level of violence as he gets older. These things are increasing. Um, And I would say that he could easily meet the criteria of conduct disorder as a teenager um, and then antisocial personality disorder as he became a young adult. You know, frequent trouble with the law, no respect for authority, cruelty, and the use of a weapon towards others are all clear warning signs. So Angelo was a hard worker. He had lots of jobs. He did a lot of manual labor labor jobs and eventually developed a trade in auto detailing and upholstery. So he's now 20 years old and he's making decent money. Girls liked him. He was always on dates. I guess, you know, they thought he was a hottie, kind of a badass hottie. He got Geraldine pregnant during this time and married her because of it. She was 17 and still in high school. He married her not in the Catholic faith, but with a Protestant minister, possibly just to make his mom mad. He only stuck around for a week, and then he split. So leaving his new wife, 17-year-old wife, high and dry, his first child, Michael Lee Buono, was born January 10, 1956. Geraldine filed for divorce, citing desertion. Angelo never paid the $20 a month he was supposed to in child support, and also when he was around Michael, he would not allow Michael to call him dad. Um, I, he would like say, uncle, make him call him uncle or whatever. So I'm thinking it's maybe because he didn't want to feel old. I don't know. What do you think, Courtney? So kind of at this age, you know, vanity wasn't really one of Angelo's main faults. He had a lot of them. Um, but you know, that wasn't necessarily like the first thing that people think of. Um, and he was actually described by others as really not being all that good looking. I think he was compared to a gargoyle once was Mm -hmm. the... Um, the phrase that I remember. Um, so I'm not sure that aging was his concern at this point. Um, he was, however, a person who didn't care much for responsibility or obligations. You know, if we think back on our episode about antisocial personality disorder, irresponsibility and abandoned commitments are common personality traits of psychopaths. Um, I think that Angelo just straight up did not want the responsibility of being a dad and husband at the age of 20. So he just kind of denied that it was even happening. Yeah. It does just go to show you that looks aren't everything because he was always getting the chicks. He had a lot of charm. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, maybe the swagger, his, you know, bragging that he was part of the mafia because he did that too. Maybe. Also, he wasn't described as a gargoyle until later in life. So maybe he was was better looking when he was young. Well, and I think that was by one of the people we watched that show on right yeah I think that was yeah we did also watch there's a four-part miniseries on um there's several mm-hmm. um but we watched one on I can't remember which channel it was I'll have to look at I up. think it was on Peacock or Roku channel one of yeah those. and it was like one of the lawyers I think described him as a gargoyle right <laughs> so Angeli Angeli Angelo technically wasn't a free man uh, when his son was born so he was in he was in jail when his first son was born. He was serving a 60-day sentence for theft. 
Not even a year later, Angelo was dad to another son, this one named Angelo Anthony Buono III. So he's a junior. This is a third. Angelo married this one in 1957, who had two more children, including one daughter by Angelo. So her name was Mary Catherine. Um, His new wife was also 17 when she wed Angelo. They would also divorce in 1964. His wife just couldn't handle the violence and sexual behavior that Angelo demanded of her. He also called her the same words he called his mom and, and all women for that matter. Quote, one night during their first year together, he appeared in their bedroom with rope in his hands, tied her spread eagle to the bed, bedpost and raped her so violently that she feared for her life. He seemed to get off on the pain he caused her. I mean, a sadist coming out of the closet is what I'm thinking. He would beat her when she didn't satisfy him, and he seemed to enjoy doing this in front of the children. Okay, Courtney, so why in front of the kids? Is this common in domestic violence abusers? So for a sadist, um, and I'd agree that we're seeing sadistic traits from Angelo, um, you know, they get off on inflicting pain on others, even children. And so I imagine that he got like an extra thrill from seeing this his children's reactions to him hurting their mother. Um, not to mention, you know, that he was demonstrating for his children that he's the one with the power in the home and what could happen to them if they were to disobey or cross him. Um, and, you know, involving children in domestic violence is also a tactic that sometimes is used by abusers to kind of get the kids, quote, like, on their side and start to essentially brainwash the kids into thinking that their behavior is okay or that their mother actually deserves it. The more we dive into this, the more I'm thinking that Angelo's dad might have done this too, but just speculation. Right. Um, so they got divorced, uh, citing violence as the reason. The court awarded um, her $150 a month from Buono, but he got out of paying her the child support because he started spelling his name differently. It's normally spelled B-U-O-N-O, and he started spelling it B-O-N-O. So that was, they couldn't find him in the, in the employment system. She ended up having to use government assistance to raise all of her kids. And, you know, what a piece of crap. Poor Candy. She went by Candy. Um, as she went by, was so desperate at one point that she actually tried to reconcile with Angelo, who promptly cuffed her put her in his car, took her to an isolated area, dragged her out of the car, shoved her against a tree, and jammed a gun into her stomach, claiming that he was going to kill her. He didn't, um, but she did not try to reconcile with him again. So she just must have been um, so desperate for money. Yeah. Angelo got involved with Nanette Campina in 1965. They didn't marry, but they did have two children together. Nanette already had two of her own children to begin with. So at this point, Angelo has eight kids with multiple women. He was no nicer to Nanette than the other wives or girlfriends. He beat her and threatened her that if she left, he would kill her. During this time, he got busted by the cops in a sting operation for car thefts. Because he had so many kids, the courts were lenient on him and gave him three years of probation. But when they realized what his real name was, um, they gave him a year but it was suspended, provided that he pay back all the child support that he owed his ex. He did not, of course. Uh, Nanette, deciding that death was preferable to living with Angelo, decided to leave him. Angelo had also been molesting her 14-year-old daughter as well and was also violent to the ma- to Nanette's mom. So she decided to chance leaving. Quote, Angelo said this about Nanette's daughter. She needs breaking in. I'll break her in. 
gross. I know. I'm just, it gives me the shivers when people talk about, about that, like that, about any woman. Right. Anybody. Like a a, a young child. Yeah. Angelo married Deborah Taylor in Las Vegas, in a Las Vegas wedding chapel, but this wasn't a real marriage or he didn't consider it a real marriage. I mean, who knows? Maybe they were drunk when this happened. Although I will say that it seems that Angelo abstained from most substances. So I don't know though. They never moved in with each other and they didn't divorce either. So they were technically married, but they just kind of ignored it. Um, during this time, Angelo moved in with a roommate who later would say that Angelo was obsessively neat, but disturbing. He would look at people through his binoculars and play with himself. He said that he had sex with his 14-year-old stepdaughter and even handed her off to one of his many sons to do that as well. One of Angelo's sons told his roommate that Angelo, his own dad, had sex with him too. Angelo also told his roommate that he had snuck into Candy's house, so his ex-wife's house, and turned on the gas hoping she would light a cigarette and blow the place up. When asked about the kids, Angelo responded with, quote, fuck the kids. Courtney? Well, we are clearly looking at a full-service psychopath who has no qualms about doing any or all of the possible terrible things that a human can do to other people. You know, his willingness to commit crimes, including statutory rape and incest, And then to be brazenly bragging about it shows just how little he cares about the social expectations of others and how he clearly had no empathy at all towards his kids or his ex-wives. Right. By 1975, Angelo had been able to open up his own upholstery shop. So he got really good at his trade. And like, like I said earlier, he was a hard worker. He was now financially stable and was able to do pretty much whatever he wanted. He still had plenty of women who liked him, at least at first. He was pretty confident, and he would tease them enough that they would flirt with him back. With his um, his black hair started to turn gray, he would dye it. You know, um, at this point, he's trying to stay younger looking, and he definitely still preferred the younger woman. One of his admirers, a teenager, gave him a dog and some rabbits for presents. The dog's name was Sparky, and you can see the dog in the videos later on of the cops busting Angelo. Um, Angelo earned the reputation as a good as good at his job and as a stud in the neighborhood. Angelo was having sex with so many women, some of them as young as age 13. It was claimed that Angelo would force many of the women, or should I say girls, that he had sex with to fillet him. But he was really forceful about it, wanting them to choke and pass out from his penis in their throats. There was one particular 13-year-old who had Angelo over to meet her parents. But when they saw he was 40, they freaked out. (laughs) Um, I don't know if the statutory rape laws were different back then, but it doesn't look like he got in trouble for his young girlfriends. His wallet was full of high school pictures of all of his conquests, or should I call them victims? So I actually looked this up, um, and technically... The age of consent in California during the 1970s was 18. Um, So what he was doing would have been considered statutory rape even then. Um, And as to why he was never arrested or prosecuted, who knows? Yeah, I mean, must like that one particular family must not have pushed it further. I don't know. Yeah, press charges or... I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, I, I get like the whole narcissistic immunity thing or whatever, but he's... 40 and he's going over to a 13 year old's parents house like what did he expect (laughs) i don't know i don't know either 
Okay, well, remember when I talked about how it was thought that Angelo had an inappropriate relationship with his stepdaughter? Well, I guess she also gave him a picture of herself and wrote on the back, Dear Tony, Dad, I guess he went by Tony, here's a small picture for your wallet to keep just in case you can't picture me and you can remember it and what I look like. Love you. He cleverly got one of his other girlfriends to pay for his ex-stepdaughter's ticket, her name was Annette, um, to come visit him all the way from Florida where her mom had moved them to get away from Angelo. Um, Angelo impregnated the 16-year-old who paid for Annette's ticket to get there. So he's, you know, dating multiple women, whatever. This 16-year-old had been slowly but methodically groomed by Angelo, who said he would marry her after she graduated from high school. Angelo promptly arranged for an abortion and got it done before anyone else knew about the pregnancy. He told her he was going to get a vasectomy and she wouldn't get pregnant again. However, he lied, and six months later, she was pregnant again. She miscarried this time. They all seemed to think they loved him. Courtney, do you think these girls had what, you know, they called daddy issues and Angelo recognized this and honed in on them for grooming? I mean, teenagers are especially susceptible to manipulation and grooming for a number of reasons. You know, their brains are developing really quickly and in many different ways. And they're in a place of self-exploration, so they can be more easily swayed by others. You know, their hormones are all over the place, causing them to feel emotions very intensely and making it easier to be emotionally and sexually manipulated. Also, you know, teens are notoriously seeking approval and acceptance, so any positive attention, particularly from a person that they see as cool or desirable, can go a really long way. And as for, you know, quote, daddy issues, um, I kind of hate that term because it kind of implies that a girl or woman is responsible for having unhealthy fatherly relationships. Um, But that being said, yes, A predator like Angelo would be keenly aware of which girls he was around were particularly searching for the attention and approval of kind of more of a father figure and would absolutely take advantage of that. I'm thinking about like how he even met these women in the or these girls in the first place. Like, was he hanging around high schools, picking up young girls? Was it like word of mouth I, I don't even know how this like happened. he's 40 years old mm-hmm. he's having sex with 13 year olds he's impregnating 16 year olds promising them that he will marry them you know when they graduate high school he's got a wallet full of pictures like picture day pictures of the women girls he's screwing around with it's just I don't know it's grossing me out it is really gross um I think I remember from the documentary series we watched that, like, Angelo's shop and apartment was near a mall Mm, um, where a lot of, like, young teens would Mm -hmm. hang out. So I would guess that he spent a lot of time at the mall being a big old creeper. And maybe he didn't tell them his real age. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if he was dyeing his hair and he was wearing, like, he was trying to dress younger, like, wearing chains and all the hip clothes. I don't know. But um, so anyways, that's kind of where we're going to stop today. This is pretty much where we uh, were the the time frame where Angelo's about to meet up with his cousin. Right. Kenneth. They're about to join forces. They're about to join forces. Now they um, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit in the next episode, but they really didn't know each other growing up. 
Right. So, um, yeah, the fact that they came together and did what they did is kind of weird. I mean, just because, yeah. So, anyways, that's um, that's what we're going to stop today. All right. Okay. Well, everyone be safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.